Welcome to the Community Fellowship Podcast, your way to stay connected with biblically-themed messages, discussions, and interviews from Community Fellowship in East Bernard, Texas. Learn more about our church at the cfeb.church website, check us out on social media at CF East Bernard, or attend an in-person service at 635 Main Street in East Bernard. We are a local church that works to make the love of Christ for all humanity known to our community and the world. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this week's content. Well, good morning, everybody. You actually exceeded my expectations in numbers. We had 119 here last Sunday. If my count is correct, we have 64. That is more than half. I was expecting only half today, considering all that is occurring between the time change and people gone for spring break. So thank you for choosing to make us a part of your spring break. We have a lot to cover this morning. I am starting a new sermon series today that will last four Sundays. We've got four Sundays counting today between now and Easter. This sermon series is designed to prepare our hearts and minds for Easter. And interestingly enough, we're going to do that by going to Genesis. So going to be an interesting thing. Uh, you know, the Bible is really just one story from beginning to end, right? There's a bunch of little stories involved, but even those little stories are a part of a bigger story, and God, as the inspiration, essentially the author behind the Bible, it's just amazing to see what he did, right? He used over 40 authors to write 66 books over a period of over 2,000 years. And he had men assemble that into what we know today as the Bible. And it tells an integrated story of God responding to what happens in the first three chapters. So... You've got the first two chapters telling us about creation. The third chapter talks about man's fall. And the whole rest of the book is what God does in response to that. It's one integrated, complete story of redemption of man by loving God. I want to... I want to introduce you to a very profound saying about that. It goes like this. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. And the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. So when we read and study the New Testament, it sheds light on the Old Testament in such a way that we can see what's there where we didn't see it before. 
Whereas in the Old Testament, we find, once we know the New Testament, that the New Testament is there already. We just can't, we couldn't see it until Jesus came and showed it to us. Um, would you, Molly, put up that Bible timeline? We're not going to look at this in great detail, but I just want to point out, uh, so let's see here, turn this on. So we've got the beginning of time as the Bible puts it right over here with Adam. This shows about 4,000 B.C., 4,000, 6,000, somewhere there and there, somewhere thereabouts. And here's, here's the coming of Jesus. So this is the Old Testament period here. Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and all of that leading up to Jesus Christ. So that's the Old Testament. And the Old Testament takes up about two-thirds of our Bible, right? About two-thirds of our Bible, and yet we tend to ignore that because we want to know Jesus, right? We want to know Jesus, so we, go to the, we want to go to the New Testament. Well, it reminds me of how uh, sometimes you show up late for a movie. I mean, what if you showed up two-thirds late? You only a third of the movie left, <laughs> and you just watch that, ending segment it's like you're really missing a lot you don't quite understand the plot or why things are happening the way they do in that latter third of the movie because you missed the first two-thirds and that's the way it is when we as Christians we dwell on the New Testament and that's great because yeah we want to live like Christ lived so we want to we want to get to know him in the New Testament but we can't really appreciate what Christ did for us without an understanding of the New Testament because we're left, I mean, even beginning Christians, even mature Christians are left sometimes wondering, why did Jesus have to die for my sins? I mean, if you only look at the New Testament, you don't understand that. That's laid out in the Old Testament why a sacrifice was needed for our sins. So, we need to go to the Old Testament. But, there's, an, there's a powerful, powerful reason why we need to go back to the Old Testament and running up to Easter. And we're going to... There are three main passages we're going to go to today. Uh, some of you have your Bibles... Others of you might want to reach for one of the paperback Bibles that's close by. We don't have nearly enough. In fact, I asked Christy this morning, please order some more Bibles. Cause, and we, are, we, are, we encourage folks to take them. If you don't have a Bible at all, take one of those paperback Bibles home with you so you have a Bible. But if you've got one close enough to you where you can get it, get it. I want you to turn to three passages. Put your fingers in or piece of paper or something in these three passages. Genesis 1, Luke 24... And John 1. Hopefully you have the handout. Is anybody missing the handout that was passed out as you came in? We have some more of those if you need them. Uh, so I'm going to try over these next four Sundays to provide a handout. I'm not promising right now, but I got one done for today. So that, in case you miss uh, some of the passages, you got a record of the main ones there. Those are, those are the three main passages, and we're going to turn back and forth and kind of compare some of these, so that's why I said uh, you might want to mark those three. So let's, we're going to start in Luke 24, and you will see why. 
we're starting in Luke 24. We're using Luke 24 to get to Genesis. That seems kind of weird, but we are. So we're going to start verse 13 of Luke 24. And let me lay the groundwork there. This is Easter day. This is the day that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And what happened before verse 13 is the women went to the grave and found it empty. And they go back and report to the disciples on this. And then we pick up right here in verse 13. Two, not of the 11 remaining disciples, the two other followers of Christ, forlorn, sad, they're walking home to Emmaus. And we pick up there, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? Okay, they're walking, and it says they stood still. They couldn't believe their, what they're hearing. This guy... He's coming from Jerusalem just like we, and he, he doesn't know what we're talking about. You've you got to be kidding. He says, says, they stood still. Their faces were downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. Now, how Jesus could say that with a straight face, what things? <laughs> All of these things were about him. He just went through them. What things? And so they go on to explain him what things, what had happened, what had just happened to Jesus, who was standing right there in front of them. And once they've finished their explanation of what things, let's pick up in verse 25. In verse 25, Jesus replies. This is his reply to them. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. This is his first re-entry back to, in this case, just a couple of his disciples. What is the first thing he does? He takes them back to the beginning. So he took them to Moses and the prophets. When it says Moses here, Moses is what they called the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. When, they say, when he's saying, Luke is saying, beginning with Moses, is saying, beginning with those five books that Moses authored. That's why they called those five books Moses. They're also called the Pentateuch. They're also called the Torah. But nevertheless, it's the first five books so he's essentially say, he's taking them back to Genesis, right? First thing Jesus does when he comes back to life is take his disciples back to Genesis. 
That's, that's why we're going back to Genesis, folks. Because that's what Jesus did and when he rose on Easter Day. He didn't do it just once. He did it twice on Easter Day. Let's look down at... Uh, skip down in, verse tw- in, ch- in chapter 24 of Luke. Skip down to verse 44. Between the earlier verse and this one, okay, Jesus left those disciples, kind of disappeared, and he appeared a little bit later with the 11 disciples and other followers who were gathered in a room. And he had this to say to them there in verse 44. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. I don't know why, but he he, included one more element of Scripture there, the Psalms. But we were talking about pretty much the whole of the Old Testament. Again, he's saying the law of Moses. That's the same thing that was referred to earlier as Moses. The first five books. When he gets together with his elite 11, he takes them back to the beginning to explain how the whole Old Testament is about him. It's not just some history about the Jewish nation. It's about Jesus Christ. So, with that introduction, we're going to go back to the beginning. Let's turn to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 1. We're going to read three verses there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, we're going to pause there now. Flip over to John chapter 1. And I don't want us to look at the sameness. Compare Genesis 1 to John 1. This is John. He's writing his gospel. The first thing he pens. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning. Same words that started Genesis 1. So obviously, John is wanting us to go back and recall those words that began the Old Testament. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light. The light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. What's what's the word as John is talking about here? Who's the word? It's Jesus. In fact, in that same John chapter 1, skip down to verse 14, he makes it explicit. In verse 14, he says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. 
We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word, Jesus, one and the same. God's Word, spoken, spoken in the beginning and sent to us in, the, in fleshly form, in, in the form of Jesus the Son, here in John 1. It's no coincidence that those match one another. And interestingly enough, what John writes helps us to see in that opening passage of the entire Bible, we see the Trinity. We see God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit present in creation. So, the Father is the one speaking forth the words, right? He's the one speaking creation into existence. Talks about in verse 2, the Holy Spirit hovers over those waters when they were formless and void. And then, God speaks. God's word is proclaimed. What's Jesus? Jesus is God's word. There's, there's Jesus' presence there from the beginning. And the first thing God creates is light. And we learn from John and multiple other places in the New Testament, Jesus is the light of the world. So, wow. It's no wonder God created light first. He's putting Jesus out there, disseminating him over all creation, even before creation began. So, what day is the first day of creation? Of our week? It's Sunday. Sunday's the first day of the week. Saturday is the last day of the week. We don't tend to think, we tend to think Sunday, Saturday and Sunday is the weekend, so maybe Sunday's the last. No, Sunday is the first day of the week. Sun day, light day, the day on which God created light, guess what? It's also the day Jesus rose from the grave. It's the day that he defeated sin and death. Sunday. Easter's always on a Sunday because it was Sunday that he rose. It was Sunday when he was talking to his disciples. It was Sunday when he sent them back to Genesis. These are not coincidences. This is a part of the intricate, masterful plan that God had laid in place from the beginning. Now, the reason we Christians worship on Sunday instead of on Saturday, the Sabbath, is because we are celebrating Jesus' resurrection every Sunday. That's why we worship on Sunday. So, that was, and Jesus created, I mean, God created light on Sunday, the first day. Okay, let's move on from there. I'm lost in my notes because I got way ahead of myself without reading. Let me catch my notes up with where I am. Okay, so some of you are sitting there thinking, you know, this is great, but first of all, what Moses wrote so long ago 
has to be true and accurate and literally factual for what you're saying to be right. You see, even among professing Christians, these days especially, there is a lot of doubt about whether creation literally happened the way it is penned in Genesis. And I'm going to tell you, there was a pretty good period of my life when I questioned that myself because everything I was bombarded with throughout our educational institutions causes you to doubt that literal creation, that six-day creation. And even within some of the church settings that I set, I was being taught that, oh, a day could be a thousand years. After all, there's a passage of scripture that says a day is like a thousand years. So some folks come up with what they call theistic evolution, where, oh, yeah, God created the world, but he used evolution to do it, and he did it over long, long periods of time. You know, the problem with that is that so much of the rest of the Bible points us back to a literal six days. In fact, the fourth commandment that tells the Jewish nation to keep the Sabbath, the seventh day, holy even explains because God created the earth in six days and on the seventh day he rested. So you're going to scratch Genesis 1 and 2, you're going to have to go out and scratch the Ten Commandments too. And there's a chain reaction that happens when you start eliminating the truth of portions of Scripture, it affects huge other segments of Scripture. You can't do that. You see, the first two chapters of the Bible are explaining and providing the foundation for the whole rest of the story. You start saying the first two chapters, which are the ones about creation, didn't happen that way, you might as well chunk your Bible in the trash can. Now, still, there's still this whole intellectual thing. You know, but I mean, how can how can how can creation in six days compete with the science behind evolution, the Big Bang theory? Even you know, you know the Big Bang theory. Uh, there was nothing, and it exploded. That's the theory. <laughs> there was nothing and exploded, and then we have everything. That's absolute most ludicrous thing. If you call that science, uh, I mean, six days of creation is a whole lot more believable than that. But let's go further. Let's talk, let's talk evolution for, for a minute. I'm not smart enough to have known. I, I'm getting these things from people who are a lot smarter than me, folks. A lot smarter than me. And I've mentioned Chuck Missler here before. At the bottom of the, your handout, you've got some references to some materials. A, a lot of those are very, I leaned on very heavily for this. Chuck Missler is, he's a, he is good at a lot of different science, scientific fields. He points, out, he points out 
that if you just take one molecule of hemoglobin, okay, one molecule of hemoglobin, I'm not even sure I know what hemoglobin is, except that it's a part of our blood, right? It's part of our blood. And life doesn't exist without a hemoglobin molecule. There were, I think, 547 amino acids. It's a chain of uh, 547 amino acids in one hemoglobin molecule. There are 20 different hemoglobin, I mean, uh, amino acids that are in that molecule in different quantities of each one, and they all have to be exactly right in order to have a stable hemoglobin molecule. So, the math behind just that one molecule coming into existence, the chance of that happening are one in one times 10 to the 650th power. That is a one with 650 zeros after it. Mathematicians define anything with a lesser probability than one in 10 to the 50th power as impossible. And we're talking one in 10 to the 650th power. There's a chance of a, just a hemoglobin molecule coming together. That's not to mention, well, each of those amino acids had to come together also in their various 20 different forms. And then on top of that, you have all these other molecules that make up a, a body that have to also form. But they all have to form somehow one at a time and come together. It is impossible, totally impossible. Six days of creation is a whole lot more believable. In fact, there is a book titled In Six Days written by 50 top scientists from all around the world. Uh, Molly, I think you'll find a, a slide in there with a picture of that book on it. In 50 top scientists from all around the world, each in different fields of science, explaining in scientific terms, why it makes sense that creation happened in six days and why it couldn't possibly have happened the way a lot of pseudo-scientists claim it did. If you want to be armed and equipped with the science to prove that evolution is a farce and creation is the only true explanation of the beginning of the world, get, get yourself this book. I haven't read, been, been able to read a whole bunch of it, but Chuck Missler exposed me to a lot of the ex things that are in it and it comes highly recommended by him. So, I hope that you can set aside that cloud of doubt that pretty much everything we're exposed to today places upon our faith that the Bible is true front to back because it is an essential story. It is with, without the faith that it is all true, our whole Christian faith falls apart and we're left hopeless really and truly. We're just a bunch of fools. Seriously.
I want to just, I'm going to close by introducing us, introducing us to the first, uh, I'm going to call it a hidden reference to the redemption that Jesus Christ brought us. This first, first reference to that, and it happens in chapter 3 of Genesis. So, we had the, the six days of creation in chapter 1. Chapter 2 was, okay, the, chapter 1 was kind of the big picture. Chapter 2, Moses goes back to the day on which man was created, and he further illustrates there in chapter 2 how man was created and then woman and that. But then in chapter 3, the serpent enters, Satan enters, and Adam and Eve fall into sin by partaking of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil that, Jesus, that God told them, no, don't do that. If you do, you will die. So, God has come back, he's caught them in the act, and now he's speaking a curse upon the serpent in verse 14 of chapter 3 of Genesis. He says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring and hers, he, he, by the way, that he is Jesus, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. It's one of those concealed New Testament messages in the Old Testament. God himself is pointing to an, you know, a future offspring of Eve that would crush Satan's head. Satan would continue to nip at mankind, causing us to trip up and fall, and even die earthly deaths as a result of our sin. But Jesus, at a future time to that date, would come and crush Satan's head. And that's what we're going to We're going to find every major story, and even some of the minor stories in the Old Testament, are pointing forward to that time when Jesus will crush Satan's head. Now, the whole redemption story, remember, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, God kicked them out of the garden, right? But we find in those first couple of passages in chapter 2 of Genesis, in Eden, before they were kicked out, before they sinned, what did they do? They walked and talked with God himself. There was nothing separating them. They were like best buds. But after sin, God's righteousness required there be a separation and he kicked them out of Eden. They could not return. Except that he had a plan already. And he starts divulging that plan right here when he 
curses Satan. Here he had a plan. Jesus was his plan. It was his plan from the beginning. That's not plan B or C. It's plan A. He had it planned for all eternity. This is what was going to happen. Jesus is going to take care of this. Jesus is going to restore your and our ability to walk and talk together. To have that Eden-like relationship. That's what Jesus atonement for our sin accomplishes. It, it's a restoration of Eden relationship style. So, that's it for today. I hope I've whet your appetite for some more. I think all four of our lessons are going to come from Genesis because Genesis is a lot. Uh, there's a lot in there that points to Jesus, and I'm excited about having the opportunity to do this. Let's, let's bow our heads. Most Heavenly Father, wow. It is just so amazing to see your plan beginning to end spelled out. Uh, thank you for, for Jesus, the plan. Your the plan A, the only plan you have for us, the successful plan that restores us, that enables us to pray, to presume to come before your throne as we are doing right now. We couldn't do that without Jesus having atoned for our sin. Thank you for that. And thank you for taking us into Genesis in the Old Testament to explore and become re-excited by your plan. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have questions about this week's message or would like to start a conversation with someone about what it means to walk with Christ, please email pastor at cfeb.church. You can find earlier episodes of our podcast on our website at cfeb.church, where you can also give online to help support community fellowship in our mission to reflect and share Christ's love. We can also be found on many major distribution platforms like Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe to stay connected. Thank you again for listening. Now go out and love one another like Jesus did.